Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control to Major Tom. Five. five Commencing four, countdown. Four, Engines on. Three. three Check ignition. Two, and may God's love be with you. One. one, one lift off. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I am Christian Sager. So you may have gotten the idea from our little intro there that that was our homage to David Bowie. Uh, We're recording this two days after he passed away, so we thought it would be fun to do a little uh, space oddity routine since we're going to be talking about space mirrors. So uh, how, how do these work? Why are we putting mirrors in outer space? It's not to look at ourselves. It's not to look at planet Earth, right? There's many reasons behind this. Yeah, though I will say that I did run across at least one scenario in which they were talking about using mirrors in space as a means to uh, to to uh, better analyze conditions on the Earth. Oh, but, is that right? Yeah, but for the most part, yeah, we're not putting them up there. But they're not putting like vanity. haunted mirrors up in space, right? Not like the mirror from Oculus. Not yet. Not yet. That's the sequel. I just came up with it right there. Oculus Two Space Mirror. Ooh, yeah, the Oculus Mirror as you is used in a telescope. It gets put in the yeah. Hubble, te- yeah, there in you the go. Hubble Space Telescope. Or the James <laughs> Webb. Yeah, exactly. And it's worth mentioning the haunted mirrors because haunted mirrors, I feel, uh, capture a lot of the the mystique of the mirror itself. Even if you sort of know how a mirror works, uh, there's still something kind of magical and uncanny about it. Oh, and yeah. therefore, the idea of putting them in space, putting them out there uh, in orbit uh, is inherently kind of weird and, and mystical feeling. Yeah, a potential event horizon scenario. Yeah. So, uh, before we dive into the mirror stuff, I just want to remind everybody, you know, Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a podcast, and most of you know us from listening to the show, and thank you for doing so. But we do a bunch of other stuff, too, and we'd love if you check that out. So, we've got videos that we produce uh, and star in. We've got articles that we write. And the best way that you can find most of that stuff is by visiting us at StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That is the landing site for everything that Joe, Robert, and I are producing. Indeed, and... And, uh, hey, we don't we don't care how you listen to us. There are yeah. various different ways to listen to a podcast these days. But if you want to help us out, whatever system you use, be it iTunes or Google, uh, Spotify, you name it, uh, give us a little love there. If they have a, a way to review us, uh, give us some stars. Do that. It helps us out, helps out the algorithm, helps support the show. And we love to hear, not just if you've done those, but we love to hear your reactions to the episodes or maybe some ideas that you've had or, or, or facts that we maybe didn't find in our research. So you can always reach out to us on social media and let us know about those things. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Tumblr. We are Blow the Mind on those platforms. We also do Periscopes every Friday at noon Eastern Standard Time. So if you want to hang out with us for 20 minutes or so and talk about what's going on with the show this week, what we're working on for articles or whatever, uh, that's that's the best way to do that, too. Talk to us directly and throw us those hearts on Periscope. Yeah. All right. You know, as we get going here, 
this is not an episode that deals exclusively with telescopes. Uh, no. That is a topic that, that deserves its own episode or a couple of episodes uh, to explore some of this amazing uh, uh, terrestrial and orbital observatories that we've rolled out over the years. But in discussing the role of mirrors in space, we have to talk at least briefly about their role in the telescope. Yeah, so uh, the basic gist of reflector telescopes, which is the kind of telescope that uses mirrors instead of lenses, is that the mirrors collect light within them from a distant object, bring that light to a point or to a focus, and then through an eyepiece <coughs> lens, take that focus and magnify it for our human retina, right? So we can see through mm-hmm. it. Its ability to collect light is directly related to the diameter of the mirror being used to gather the light, okay? And Isaac Newton was the first one to develop this idea for the reflector telescope back in 1680. He used a curved metal mirror to collect the light and reflect it into focus. Then in 1722, John Hadley developed a design using parabolic mirrors. And these are relatively still in popular use today. Uh, the disadvantage of reflector telescopes, though, is that you have to clean and realign these mirrors. And that actually comes into play with the Hubble telescope. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Because there's some some flaw to it. Uh, but reflectors are also subject to some light loss as well. So Hubble, we mentioned it before. We, ta- we joked about putting the oc- Oculus mirror inside <laughs> of it. Uh, it's a Cassegrain, that's the title of it, reflector telescope, where the light enters through a small opening and bounces off primary and secondary mirrors inside of it. It's sort of in like a W formation is how the light is bouncing around in there. Uh, and there's other smaller mirrors inside to distribute the light to the eventual instruments that then broadcast them back to us. The mirrors are made, you know, different from how Newton made his with just a sheet of metal. Uh, they are glass coated with layers of pure aluminum and magnesium fluoride. But the Hubble has a couple of flaw, it has a flaw in, in, in its mirrors. Um, and so what they used to do is they had several small mirrors inside of it that were called co-star. Uh, and the idea was that they would intercept the beam from the primary mirror that had a flaw, refocus it, and then make it so that it, you know, is able to be, uh, parsed out. Uh, but today, the instruments that are built into it have corrective optics that compensate for that flaw, so they don't need the co-star mirrors anymore. And then the big one that I'm sure a lot of you have heard about uh, is James Webb Telescope, which is coming up. It is an even bigger mirror that is 20 feet in diameter. In fact, we just sent a, a team here uh, from How Stuff Works up to the NASA observatory there where they're working on the James Webb Telescope. And a couple of videos were produced by our team, primarily led by Holly Fry from mm-hmm. the, the History Podcast. But uh, I, I'm looking forward to seeing that stuff because they they apparently got real up close and personal with the James Webb Telescope and the production and of it. And maybe even the haunted mirror at its uh, yeah, core. Yeah, i got to ask Holly if that <laughs> Oculus mirror made its way in there. Um, there's also some considerations for something that's called a liquid mirror telescope that could hmm. potentially be mounted on the moon. Uh, it would be between 66 and 328 feet long, which would collect 1,736 times more light than the Hubble telescope does now. So that's just my brief primer here on telescopes and their role. And yes, we have space, 
We have mirrors in space for telescopes, but we're going to talk a little bit beyond using them to see far uh, and look into other ways that you could use them, potentially as weapons or just to uh, make people happier, apparently. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's also worth noting that, um, you know, especially with terrestrial observatories, you have mirrors that are solid one piece and then you also have mirrors that are composed of uh, of of, of uh, various segments yeah. that all come together um uh, you mentioned the liquid mirror and i have to to throw in about a, a new proposition okay. uh, this just came out uh, this uh, made a uh, made the rounds uh, from uh, nasa's jet propulsion laboratory good old jpl yeah 2015 orbiting rainbows ooh so and, and you already know it's going to be good with a title like that. <laughs> but this would be a reflective cloud. This is theoretical. This would be a uh, the reflective cloud of glitter-like grains that are just floating there in space, and they're trapped and manipulated by multiple laser beams. So you don't have to worry about structure or backing material. Okay. You don't have to worry about you know unfurling the sails, etc. The pressure of the laser light coming in from different directions sh- would shape the cloud and push the small grains to align in the same direction. Okay. So kind of a yeah, a nano mirror cloud. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Yeah. I'm curious. I mean, it sounds like it would be a long way off given given how long the work on James Webb's been going on. For yeah. Me. But it's certainly a, an innovation that is worth thinking about in terms of these various uh, applications that we're going to discuss here, uh, some of which you know are a little more feasible than others. Um, we should also mention solar sails because that uh, that's an important uh, aspect of uh, the use of mirrors in space as well, or at least mirrored surfaces. Uh, so the concept itself goes back to the 16th century. Uh, astronomer, mathematician uh, Johannes Kepler uh, noticed that comet tails always point away from the sun, implying that sunlight itself was pushing them around like they were little. Yeah, he thought there was a solar breeze. Yeah, and there is. There is a mm-hmm. solar wind. We know that now. Um, we, we know now that sunlight is little more than a stream of photons, tiny particles of light, and they don't possess mass, but they do uh, boast a linear momentum. And when they bounce off a reflective surface, they push against that surface. And, uh, and, and this has been uh, demonstrated, uh, the use mm-hmm. of solar cells. Uh, the Mariner 10 probe successfully demonstrated the technology in 74 when NASA used the probe's solar arrays uh, uh, as an impromptu solar sail. Uh, subsequent American, Russian, Indian, and Japanese uh, missions have also uh, further proven the technology's feasibility. But we really haven't taken the solar sail concept and uh, and. and Fleshed it out in a more, uh, uh, you know, remarkable way. We haven't created like full, full on right. solar sail vessels. Yeah, the idea is that like eventually the continuous force of all those sun-like particles would propel a spacecraft potentially five times faster than traditional rockets. Yeah, and then if you could also throw in varying uh, uh, theoretical means of uh, of boosting them with lasers, so you point the laser yeah. beams at the sail and add a little bit of artificial wind mm-hmm. to those solar sails. So this sounds good, right? We're using mirrors in space as a as a as a real means and as a and as a, a near future means to gaze at the cosmos. Perception to, and propulsion. Yeah, as as a means to move through it. But what else can we do? Well, apparently we can hurt each other, uh, which is one of our favorite ways to examine space, right? We love talking about space weapons here on Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Yeah, and we've seen time and time again that if you want uh, 
you want any kind of a, 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 a science program funded, if it has a, a weapon uh, yeah. aspect to it, then all the better. That's that's how human civilization gets excited about science. And that's exactly the case with something called the sun gun. Uh, and this comes from a 1945 Life magazine article. Basically, there were U.S. Army technical experts that were in <coughs> Germany, and they came across notes for the sun gun. And the concept was uh, by a German rocket, sci- rocket scientist named Hermann Oberth, and he pitched this idea in 1923. Now, his idea for this was totally peaceful, right? He wanted to use it to do things like illuminate ports or thaw out frozen rivers. Uh, he also thought that you could potentially use this as a, I mean, he was thinking way ahead as a refueling station for spaceships. So there mm-hmm. were some sort of sci-fi-ish ideas here. Yeah, um, Oberth is one of those names you see thrown around at times with Werner von Braun. Uh, yep. He was very much involved with the German rocket uh, program and the creation of the uh, the V-2. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, in, in this situation, Oberth comes up with this idea and the Nazis go, you know what? What if we could use that to take the rays and burn our enemy cities and boil the ocean? Yeah, I mean, it comes down uh, again to this case where you have you have scientists who uh, who have this their areas of expertise. They have their research they care dearly about. But you're ultimately uh, you're, you're you're ultimately having to deal with a warlike and dogmatic uh, force yeah. at the the top of the chain, and you yeah. have to appeal to those masters. Hey, right? it's like that nowadays. Like you know, a lot of the scientists that I know who get funding for their work get it from the DoD. I mean, yeah. one of my closest friends uh, used to do work at a MIT, and he always reminds me that uh, the GPS was first developed with DoD money, and I'm talking about the de- Department of Defense in the United States for for. Our- uh, international listeners. Hmm. Yeah, so the scenario more or less remains the same. It's easier to uh, to uh, cast a nefarious eye, obviously, on uh, on uh, scientific uh, yeah. uh, experiments going on uh, and scientific endeavors going on during uh, the, the the Third Reich and under the Third Reich. But it has always been the case that yeah. if you have a big project. Uh, war is the way it gets green. Well, it, there don't seem to be any surviving schematics to actually show how they were going to build this mirror sun gun. But the the Life magazine article has like drawings and illustrations in it, which I, I'm assuming that they they came with the notes that were uncovered by these technical experts, unless they were drawn for the article. And those illustrations are, are available. You can find mm-hmm. them, I think, on on Google. And, and they're wonderful. They're just fabulous retro futurist, uh, uh, visions of what life yeah. in space could consist of. Um, they didn't really have a plan either on how they were going to have a rocket actually get the, the get the sun gun up into space. <laughs> but the idea here was that it would be pre-assembled before it even got up there. Okay. Uh, and in the same article, they hypothesized that at the distance that the Germans were planning to set up the mirror, which was 5,100 miles up, the image it would cast on Earth once they actually crunched the math would be 40 miles in diameter and it would not be hot enough to do any damage. So there would be like a 40 mile, uh, sunburst that I don't know, maybe it would give you a bit of a tan. Yeah, that's, uh, and, and that's one of the, um, the cool things about that life article is they, they just immediately tear down the idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, of course, it's also worth noting that that the, the German scientists themselves they were saying that this th- this would be like fifty or a hundred years oh, off yeah. anyway. So they weren't saying we can do this next year, guys. Um, 
but yeah, it seems like if if you try to extrapolate uh, Oberth's work into a weapon, as as uh, some of the Nazi individuals may have seem to have done, mm-hmm. it's not going to work. But as a means to slightly heat areas, right? Yeah, it could work. Yeah, I, yeah and I'm curious, like uh, especially given what we're going to talk about Russian applications for this as well. But you know, maybe they could thaw a river, but at the very least, they could literally shed some light <laughs> on a situation. So, okay, here's the uh, the basic breakdown of Ober's thing, even if we don't have access to his schematics. The idea is that the mirror would be a concave disc that's one mile in diameter. So we keep coming back to this, the importance of how big the diameter is right. of the mirror. The crew would live inside the mirror, <laughs> uh, and they would breathe air produced by thousands of pumpkin plants. I loved that. Huh. Uh, and even in some of the drawings, they sort of show where these pumpkin plants would be placed. They would be generating oxygen for the crew. I wonder why pump- I guess because of the vines, sure. they feel like that would be a good support structure for... Uh, uh, yeah, it wasn't clear. It wasn't clear. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, Oberth's uh, actual reasoning for it was kind of lost to time. There was also some weird stuff because they the the design was pitched to have centrifugal rotation and mimic gravity, kind of like we're familiar with now from 2001: A Space yeah, Odyssey, right? Taurus that classic design, right? scene. Yeah. Um, but they also would wear magnet shoes that would allow them to stick to the floors and walls at the same time to compensate for the gravity loss. So maybe it's sort of like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of that scene in Star Trek The Next Generation where they put on those, like, magnet boots and walk along on the hull of the Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, yeah. The Star Trek Enterprise? The Spaceship Enterprise. <laughs> uh, and so the idea here is that there would be tiny little rocket motors that are attached to the mirror, and they would fire those off to control where it was turned so they could aim the light at Earth. Uh, but after World War II, you know, the Nazis were done for in terms of the weapon-building business, and uh, Oberth went to other nations to see if they would pick up his idea for the peacetime applications he originally came up with them mm-hmm. for. He thought the U.S. could build a mirror that's 300 miles in diameter. That's huge. Uh, to terraform the Earth. So he had some big ideas, Oberth did. He even suggested, well, you know, it, it would be expensive, yes, but why don't we just mine all the materials from the moon to keep the costs down? Now, keep in mind, we, <laughs> we hadn't even been to the moon right. yet. He doesn't know what's on the moon. But uh, sure enough, we're going to, he, he pitches, yeah, don't worry about it. We'll just, uh, we'll make this mirror from moon bits. He, he's very much thinking uh, a few steps ahead of, uh, uh-huh. of current science. Yeah, I mean, uh, this concept is, uh, as far as I can tell, more sci-fi than science. But it was, you know, initially pitched to be developed. You know, it's it's interesting that he was already at this point talking about its use for terraforming because mm-hmm. uh, in in recent uh, decades you you see space mirrors occasionally pop up as a means to for instance uh, terraform Mars. Yeah, right. Uh, the red planet's too cold, so you know you just deploy uh, fleets of orbiting reflective balloons to collect sunlight and reflect it down on the chilly surfaces. Um, that that in particular was um, was a scheme that that was uh, proposed by University of Arizona's uh, Rajo Waida, who uh, theorizes that such a scheme could raise the Martian temperature in uh, a 150 acre patch to Earth like levels of warmth. Huh. Interesting. And likewise, you uh, you see various uh, theories about how you could you could use space mirrors as a geoengineering uh, or planet hacking measure here on Earth to counteract global warming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that as well. But Oberth already had all of that uh, teeming around in that brain. Yeah, is. yeah. Back in the twenties, he he had the whole thing figured out. He just didn't have the means to achieve it. <laughs> 
I'm going to go back to the Sun Gun uh, one more time, though. Um, that uh, 1945 edition of Life magazine, in busting it, uh, th- these are some of the particulars they, they laid out. They said that the German plan for building may be proved physically impossible by a simple uh, axiom of optics. Uh, this is that light cannot be brought to a sharp-pointed focus with lenses or mirrors unless it comes from a sharp-pointed source. Uh, it goes on to say that, that since the, the sun appears in the sky as a disk and not as a point, the best any optical system could do would be to produce uh, an image of that disk. So at very short focal length, the image is small and hot, but uh, the focus length is increased. Uh, the image becomes progressively bigger and cooler. So mm. at the, the distances that the Germans uh, were dealing with, as you mentioned, they wouldn't be able to to cast that laser-like beam of right. heated intensity on anything. They would just be able to warm things up. Like, ha-ha, enemies, enjoy slightly warmer temperatures in this general vicinity. Which actually would work out pretty well for the next, uh, next space mirror we're going to talk about, Project Zinmaya. That's right. When we come back, we're going to discuss Soviet attempts to uh, cast a little light on the on the world using space mirrors. Hey, everybody, having a professional-looking website is just an important part of doing business or just representing yourself in today's world. Uh, but it can be a real pain, right? You're trying to build this professional-looking thing, and uh, you feel like you don't you don't have the right coding tools at your disposal. You don't have the right skill set to make it happen. But that's where Squarespace comes into play. They offer you uh, intuitive and easy-to-use tools that give you that professional design look, regardless of your individual skill level. You don't have to be a coding wizard at all. And you get a free domain if you sign up for a year. You can start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code MINDBLOWN to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, the promo code is MINDBLOWN. The product is Squarespace. Go try it out and build that website you've been dreaming of. All right, we're back. And we're talking about Project Znamya. Uh, Znamya is Russian for banner. Uh, because essentially we're talking about a big reflective banner in space. And this is the, this was the brainchild of the, the Space Regatta Consortium, or SRC, a partnership of seven Russian aerospace management and engineering companies who uh, proposed and ultimately got off the ground uh, two different uh, variations of this space mirror uh, technology. Yeah, and the interesting and, and maybe confusing thing about this, too, is the first one that went up was the Zhenmaya... Two, right, not Zhimaya one. So I wonder whatever happened to the first one, or maybe they just jumped right to two after a prototype. Yeah, and then the second one is uh, Zhimaya two point five, right? Yeah. And the third pro- proposed one that never actually happened was going to be Zhimaya three. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, iOS uh, operating systems that <laughs> yeah. they just kind of jumped around with the numbers there. So the idea here is that it's a spinning space reflector, apparently, sort of similar to the sun gun, I guess. Yeah. Uh, in 1993, the idea was that it would reflect a three-mile-wide patch or a five-kilometer-wide patch of light across a swath of pre-dawn Europe. Uh, and now, unfortunately, when they tested it, the clouds obscured much of this, but there were some observers who reported seeing a one-second flash that was as bright as a full moon. And they were able to see this on top of the uh, Alps. Apparently, there were astronomers who knew that it was being tested, so they were looking for it. Yeah, full moon shows up um, a lot in, uh, as a descriptor for how bright 
this uh, thing actually mm, was. Yeah. So, which is, you know, granted, full moon uh, level of luminosity is pretty significant. It's decent, yeah. right. Yeah, especially for the, the purposes that they came up with, at least. So the scientists at the Space Regatta Consortium, their hope was that Zimaya 2 would lead to a constellation of space mirrors that would be in orbit around Earth. And they would use these to light up cities with up to a 100 times the full moon's brightness. So you'd have multiple mirrors operating at the same time, mm-hmm. um, combining their efforts to illuminate an area. Yeah, and they thought that this would improve morale during the winter, and they would, they would use it just after sunset or just before sunrise. And my first thought was... That is so Russian. Like that is the uh, coming from New England, which is is nowhere near as harsh as a Russian winter. I can understand wanting to dispel the grayness of winter. Uh, so, uh, and I also thought about this. I wonder what that would do to human circadian rhythms, given how light interacts with the human uh, eye and brain. Well, that was, I think, one of the. Um the criticisms that uh, that you saw is that, mm. that people were saying, well, what, was it, what does this do to the human circadian rhythm? You're essentially rolling out light pollution, more light yeah. pollution than uh, than urban areas are already uh, producing. Uh, producing. So how's that going to mess with the surrounding wildlife? Yeah, in fact, astronomers, uh, other astronomers, not the ones that were working on this, were a little bit upset about it because they thought that it was going to obscure their view of the universe. That if they're yeah. looking up with the telescopes we're talking about earlier, they're going to be getting all kinds of reflections and problems from the this constellation of space mirrors. Um, but the other idea that they had, and this seems like a, a good one to me, is is that they could provide emergency lighting during disasters. So if a city loses its power, they, you know, rotate the mirrors and boom, you've got light for an evening. Yeah. If you have to clear out, you know, d- probably given during a natural disaster. And I guess you could imagine it being used to in a scenario where, all right, this area doesn't have power now or for some reason there's an energy shortage Instead of lighting up all the streets, you just cast the mirror energy yeah. down, and then you can provide the at least the uh, level of illumination necessary for driving around town. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this was fairly successful. They thought, okay, the the one second of full moon light that's enough for us to call this a success. So let's try it again with Zimaya 2.5 in 1999. Yeah, this is six years later. Uh, they set out to try it again. This one was uh 25 meters, uh, and uh, they were hoping to cast a seven kilometer diameter bright spot. Uh, that was expected to have a uh, five to ten moon luminosity. So it was going to be okay. bigger, better, and this was going to be again a first step in establishing that constellation that we were talking about earlier—a constellation mm. of reflectors that would allow us to really dose out the illumination. Um, the problem is uh, that when they uh, began to to uh, deploy this thing. Um, it, the the the, uh, the Z2's membrane caught on one of space station Mir's antenna, yeah, and ripped it up. Yeah, so, so that, that was, was not a success. Yeah, uh, and they didn't even get their their one second of full moon brightness. Apparently, yeah, and eventually they just have to jettison it, and it burns up on reentry. So that's so, it. So despite that, they still had you know I guess it was already on the books, but they had proposed Zimaya three, and the idea for this was that it would have been even larger, and its goal was to test a new reflector concept using something called film photovoltaics, and it was proposed to go up somewhere around two thousand or two thousand one. As far as I can tell, that never happened. Yeah. Uh, but there's very little information on it, actually, when you go to look it up. 
there is a BBC article that came out right after 2.5 failed. That's basically like, nah, 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 you're never going to get three up. (laughs) It's kind of fascinating little piece. It read a lot more like an editorial than it did like a science article. They're basically uh, speculating that, yeah, this thing was way too expensive. It was beyond the resources that Russia had at the time and that it was a leftover from when the Soviets had really big space aspirations. So they said it's probably going to stop. And as far as I can tell, it seems like it did. Um, but there's an interesting uh, article that's out there after the antenna problem happened with, a, I'm going to call it Z2.5, uh, by a guy named N. Shapakowski. Uh, and he comes up with five different proposals that they could have used to fix 2.5 so that three would have been more operational. And I'll just go over these real quick. I mean, his paper is very long and academic in nature. But uh, he talks about using something called rational membrane unfolding technology that would leave some of the folds free so peripherals like the antennas would stretch together with the rest of the, the mirror as it's okay. unfolding. So make it so that it is less likely to rip apart upon yeah. first deployment. Yep. Uh, the other idea he had was to increase the spin so that the membrane needed would have to be heavy enough to withstand the centrifugal forces but light enough to unfold quickly. And his idea was they'd uh, use compressed air to wrap rapidly unfold the membrane. They'd have little bursts of compressed air shoot out. Uh, And then building off of that, he adds the idea, well, why don't we put pipes into the membrane and run the compressed air through those? So three is really just kind of a 2.5 if we're sticking with the the, the numbering. Uh, And then this fourth idea was you would have a compact packing of the membrane. It would unpack like an accordion in outer space. So it would go up all folded together and then it would come out like an accordion. And this, this led to his fifth idea, which is another similar thing, but the bands of the membrane would unfold in a concertina fashion. Hmm. Okay, so I'm imagining essentially a big, vaguely accordion-shaped, reflective yeah. space balloon. Yeah, I mean, I think, he, you know, the conclusion of his article is basically like, maybe we could combine a little bit of idea number three with idea number one and idea number five, and we could make this thing work out. But it, it, ne- it never did. It never hmm. went up. So with this and uh, and some of these other applications of, of space mirrors, I mean, ultimately what you're getting down to is the manipulation of light. Uh, not only in terms of illumination, but also as, as far as energy is concerned. Yeah. And so really the applications apply to any situation in which you would want to redirect solar energy for propulsion, as we've mentioned, right. for um, observation, as we've mentioned, also for just for the energy usage. You could potentially uh, use these mirrors to refocus solar energy onto some sort of a, a solar uh, into onto a solar energy collector on yeah, solar panels. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about is it, if you wanted to get really serious about solar panels uh again the state of the union was last night and uh president obama was talking a lot about solar energy build something like this and have it just beam down the energy right at it but yeah. I don't I don't know if that's practical or not. Yeah, that's always the challenge with with solar energy. Whether you're talking uh, something with space mirrors or just say passive solar uh, home design, yeah. like how do you best uh, design the system so that you maximize uh, the, the benefits of the of uh, the solar energy harvesting, uh, and, and that it's not just some sort of a uh, 
you know, expensive plus one. Right, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I would assume that given the costs involved, we've talked about how much it costs to fly things up and outer space before, especially we talked about space weapons in our Rods from God episode. Yeah. Uh, that I don't know if it would, uh, if the cost benefit analysis works out. Yeah, indeed. Uh, now, when you start getting into that, uh, Far future area, yeah, uh, uh, you know, c- kind of like um, Obrith was uh, discussing, you know, where you we already have the the moon base in place, and then you can dream outward from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get into a, a lot of really far fetched and, and 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 really remarkable ideas about how you could use a space mirror. So, what if you had a space mirror large enough to reflect the sun's rays back on itself in a in a meaningful uh, amount. Okay. Say, you know, a, a giant space mirror positioned on the other side of the sun, perhaps, uh, uh, from Earth. Uh, could you essentially make the sun into its own solar sail and then utilize this effect to propel the solar system in the direction of your choice? Wait, so the solar system itself becomes a spaceship? Yeah, yeah, that's kind of the wow. idea here. Now, it's definitely a type two Kardashev civilization yeah. uh, concept. But, uh, yeah, the idea is that if you had a, a basically a megastructure in space, yeah. this big reflective megastructure, you would have what is referred to as a Class A stellar engine. Wow. That would use the impulse uh, of the radiation emitted by a star to produce thrust. And this is also called a uh, Shakadov thruster. I imagine navigating spaceship uh, Milky Way, or, or sorry, not Milky Way, but spaceship uh, solar system would be extremely difficult. The calculations involved uh, would be uh, mind-blowing. Uh, yeah, it would definitely be the domain of a, of a Type 2 civilization right. as opposed to, to us. Um, and I think I've seen this rolled out occasionally in sci-fi. There's an Ian M. Banks book where the uh, the, the the Earth becomes uh, threatened by an Oort cloud that is going to block out um, most of the sun's rays, okay. and so therefore it becomes necessary to move the solar system okay. uh, to to a different location, um, or perhaps they'd merely move the Earth in that in that in that particular novel. I'm having trouble remembering off the top of my head, but yeah, when you start talking about capturing all of the energy in, yeah. in the solar system yeah. and then utilizing that, you're in this uh, this type two uh, level of far future technology. And I'm just, I'm. It's only just now dawning on me. I didn't even write down a note about this, and I don't want to spoil spoil the movie for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. But there is something like this in the new Star Wars movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, you haven't seen it I have yet, not right? seen it yet. Uh, yeah. Plans keep uh, falling apart. I don't know that it's mirrors necessarily, mm. but they harness the power of the sun. Okay. Some sort of some sort of solar super weapon then. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm the last person on Earth to, that, that has not seen uh, oh, the new I, film. Oh, so. I don't know about that. I'm, <laughs> sure, I'm sure that some of you out there haven't seen it yet either. That's why I don't want to go too far into it. But yeah. But hey, that's one more thing I have to look forward to uh, when I see the new Star Wars film. So there you have it. We've uh, we've rolled through just a number of the the key uh, key points in the history of uh, of space mirrors and some of their their actual and theoretical uses. But we're curious, you know, what else is out there? What's popping around your your head when it comes to either sci-fi visions of space mirrors or just sort of possible uh, uses for them? Like for instance, what about the possibility of using solar? Um, uh, mirrors in space to illuminate uh, a particular growing area for crops. Oh, yeah, know? yeah. That, right, that seems like it would be a natural one, and I didn't get the uh, impression from either the German or Russian designs that they were thinking along those lines. 
Yeah, but you could essentially have your own, uh, it's like having your own hydroponic, uh, yeah. growing area, except you could have just an enormous field somewhere. Well, All you need is an, is the orbital might of a, of a right. Yeah, you're just gonna have this multi-billion dollar <laughs> thing up there. So, uh, yeah, if you, if you have ideas about this or, or more resources for us to follow up on, please let us know. And, you know, uh, like I said at the top, we are always available on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. We don't just post our own stuff on there either. We like to, uh, curate a lot of the weird sciencey information that we find or across the web that we don't have time to put into our episodes. Yeah, so follow us on those accounts uh, if you use them and uh, you can keep up with keep up with us that way. Uh, and hey, if you uh, want to reach out to us directly, you can always hit us up on email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.